Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Chase Insonia, the founder of Insonia CPA, a highly successful Austin, Texas-based CPA accounting firm that specializes in e-commerce businesses. What makes Chase and Insonia CPA different from other accounting firms and investment advisors is that he works with business owners to build their wealth while they're building their businesses. On this episode, Chase and I discuss his company's virtual CFO services, how he helps businesses grow as a CPA, staying up to date on tax laws and regulations, and much more. Here's our interview now. Chase, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, extremely happy to have you on. So first off, why don't you tell me a little bit about your accounting firm, Insonia CPA? Yeah, Insonia CPA, we've uh, started in 2011. We have a team of 20 people currently, uh, mainly focused on accounting and, and taxes, uh, kind of split the house. So we started our firm kind of bridging the gap between if you have a bookkeeper and you have a tax CPA, those never are incentivized to talk to each other. So that was our main focus initially. And we've been pretty agnostic on clients, but we've been doing Amazon. I've been doing online sellers since the late 2000s, but my firm has been focusing on it since 2011 officially. So we were very experienced in it. And then business is agnostic as far as other business types from your one owner consultants to seven, eight figure businesses. Don't do restaurants, don't do construction accounting because those are different accountings, but pretty agnostic on everything else and a heavy focus on e-com here. Yeah. And and that's definitely why we're here today. And you cover all levels of business in terms of LLC, S-Corp, Incorporated, that sort of thing as well. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you know, usually the first initial conversation is what's the formation? Um, You know, is it tax efficient? You know, we have that initial conversation and then make sure going forward, it's the right thing um, for our clients. Great. So how large is your team specifically? Yeah, team of 20 people, you know, pretty much half accounting, half tax and uh, multiple CPAs on the team here. Um, And then everybody's certified or licensed in some way or form. So one of the things we promote is, uh, you know, always working with a licensed CPA firm when, you know, you're, when you have a business or rental property, because there's um, recourse for a CPA firm, you know, most people don't realize if you're just working with an unlicensed bookkeeper, or unlicensed tax preparer, you know, they can easily walk away. You can never get your data. If it's years down the road, you're trying to find it. They may never find them to get it. Whereas CPAs, most people don't realize are, you know, obviously licensed by the state board. Even if I were to pass away, for example, the state board has a team of volunteers of CPAs to come into my business and make sure my clients are taken care of as a licensed CPA. So, that's one of the things we like to you know promote and educate people on is the difference. Uh, and so whether it's us or someone else, you know we're always promoting the CPA profession um, because there is recourse in your business uh, and making sure things are done correctly. And you said that all of your team members are, are licensed as well, correct? Licensed or certified? Okay. You know, I mean, accounting obviously isn't CPAs, but sure. Um, you know, they're certified in QuickBooks or A2X or something like that. Got you. So what what are some of the more specific services that your firm provides to clients or can potentially provide? Yes, on a a kind of baseline level, we're doing uh, monthly accounting and uh, reconciling the books, you know, data entering every one to three business days, reconciling when the statements drop. You know, what we have in-house is kind of in-house controller, kind of taking it to the next level with data analysis, fractional CFO type stuff where that's promoted out in the sphere, uh, I call it. 
And so budget forecasts for larger clients, um, you know, sometimes we're checking in weekly, AP and AR and cash flow. Usually it's like monthly, quarterly, semi-annually, just depends on the size of the client. But in-house controller and her team, um, you know, creates a video. We send a link with a unique URL to your customized dashboard with KPIs and financials. You can click on your phone. We're always embracing technology and trying to find the most efficient way. And the biggest thing for us is communication. I've always pushed it since day one. And so, you know, we, we use Slack, we use other forms of communication to try and make it easier on our clients and communicate as much as possible. And the good thing about having 20 people is it's not, you know, a one owner firm where it's all relying on me to respond back. If somebody has questions, uh, one of my team members can easily help answer it for them. Or, you know, if it's more higher level kind of business, you know, analysis and like looking five years out, that's kind of my specialty, um, you know, or talking about investments, you know, I manage my own portfolio. So that conversation. So it depends on the technicality of what team members talking about what, but in general, you know, you're, you're getting communicated back one to two business days at most once you ask your question. So that's what we try to do best. And sometimes, you know, we make mistakes, but uh, in general, you know, we're communicating as quickly as possible. So you're, you're, you're the big picture guys is kind of what I'm hearing you say. Uh, yeah, I am now. <laughs> I wasn't like that for the first five or six years, but mm-hmm. uh, today I am. There you go. So your firm isn't just designed to be, a, as you've mentioned, a, a bookkeeper or an accountant, but to actually help e-commerce brands with with growth strategy and to maximize that financial potential. How involved is your team typically with your e-commerce clients? And, and, and what does that strategy generally look like? Obviously, onboarding, we're getting to know our new clients. Uh, you know, what are their goals? You mm-hmm. know, sometimes it's a lifestyle and they just want to sell a few products. Sometimes it's looking to exit a brand. Sometimes it's looking to grow a um, arbitraging business, um, you know, e-com. So it varies the gamuts. But in general, we're, you know, getting to know our clients initially. What are their goals? And then kind of structuring the conversations, structuring future check-ins and analysis and KPIs based off that those goals that clients want to reach. And then if we, you know, kind of on a business consulting side, people describe me as, uh, you know, whether it's talking to our controller and me in-house, if there's resources that, you know, we're hearing from you that, you know, we know are coming down the line, then we'll say, hey, you know, you'd be thinking about this, you know, let's uh, contact so-and-so um, that we recommend. Uh, to get them in the picture. But a lot of times business owners are focused on day to day and, you know, they, they have a goal, but they don't really understand what's going to happen in a year, three years from now. That's kind of what we our white paper is on our website with the four phases of what we see in most e-com businesses. And, uh, and so what does that look like? You know, when you're selling 50 grand, you know, right now, uh, you know, that can easily scale up to a quarter million or, you know, year three, you'll be doing five or seven fifty if your business is scaling quickly. So you can't be selling out of your garage at that point um, unless you're just sending it all to Amazon. So commercial space, hiring people, you're not going to be fulfilling all those packages yourself. You know, so just kind of quickly understanding those goals and then um, matching with referrals or recommendations based off that. What stage in a company or client's growth should they consider hiring a CPA? Is that earlier than people would expect, later than people would expect? I would say in year one, um, you know, even if you're doing 50, 100K, you know, a CPA is important just from a tax perspective to make sure you're capturing all your deductions properly. If your expertise is not accounting, you know, you're wasting time spending unnecessary hours doing it 
versus growing your business, or maybe you have a W-2 job and you're doing e-com at the same time. I mean, you know, that's where CPA firm like us can help come in and, and just do accounting. The important part is if you don't do it early and you wait till later, it's very difficult and costly to catch all that up. What you don't want to do is get behind the curve because at some point when you're selling, you know, you're doing 50 now and then a year or two, maybe you're doing 150, 250, 300. Like that becomes a lot of volume to catch up with um, and get financials caught up and cost you more money at the end of the day to do that. And then inventory is obviously number one biggest issue with all of our e-com clients. Most of them manage it in Excel initially, which is fine. Um, but you know, as you're scaling and if you're doing multiple channels, that becomes a, a big problem very quickly. And what most people don't realize is that you know, when you get to that point of needing inventory software, you're already beyond trying to fix it because you can't just flip a switch from day X to day Y and say, oh, let's turn on the inventory count and manage all of this with software. So you've got to have a period and it's very cumbersome to try and get that in implemented because you're constantly selling product at the same time. So what is the inventory count on day Y? That you're going to make the switch and when you got in transit and you've got inventory in the in your multiple shops maybe or stores and then in your warehouse so it becomes very challenging quickly uh, on inventory if you're scaling like that so we recommend you know inventory thinking about it investing in the right software for your business very early on even before using quickbooks online looking at inventory software if you're looking to scale transactions because that's going to be your number one challenge in the future. Have you had personal experience coming into, I don't know, a, a client trying to hire you to fix their financials that they were putting on the back burner for the last two or three years and, and you had to come in and try to fix it? Or have you had one experience like that and said, I'm never doing that again? All of my statements are based off 20 year plus years of experience. Sure. I mean, we I can't even count the number of businesses we go back multiple years and uh, fix things. So, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of you know, our unique perspective is, you know, we can, we're basing this off many years of history and been doing it a long time. So that's why we can generally foresee what's going to happen on the roadmap, uh, you know, where most business owners are just kind of looking in the short term and trying to match their goals there. One of the services that you also offer is a virtual CFO to companies or, or e-commerce brands. Can you walk me through that process a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, just kind of philosophically, you know, the marketplace, you know, you go on Google and you search fractional CFO. Most of these people are basically doing in what I consider like controller type services. Sure. Budget forecast. Some are even reconciling books. Most of the time it's, it's pretty much controller level advising, these are all the things that we do on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis with our clients on a controller level. Fractional CFO, in my opinion, is more like debt and equity service where you have a larger business and a CFO is helping find financing, external financing. Or maybe you're looking to exit M&A transaction, a merger and acquisition transaction to somebody else. You know, that's where kind of fractional CFO services can come into play. So we do market, you know, the controller fractional CFO, because that's what Google search is promoting to people. But from an accounting profession perspective, the majority of the time, it's just controller ser advisory services, which is what we're doing every day. Yeah. Not to cut you off, but what, what I'm kind of hearing you say is that people are looking for a CFO, not knowing that they actually need a controller. 
which is also a service that you offer. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And usually they're overpaying, you know, for quote fractional CFO, because that's not generally what is needed early on. I mean, you should be doing in the seven figures, at least uh, before you even consider a fractional CFO, even if you're, you know, your own brand or you're just arbitraging and looking to sell to a third party typical fractional CFO, that's where they should come into play. Other than that, you know, CPA, accounting firm, maybe a controller, fractional controller, or like in-house controller, like what we have is generally what most majority of businesses need in early on, you know, one to one to 10 years type thing. No, that's, that's very insightful. So how long do one of your controllers or a CFO or, or even you as as a CPA, how long do they usually stay with the client? Is that until they get their own CPA or CFO or, or what's that look like? Yeah, good question. I mean, you know, we've had businesses grow and exit. Um, you know, we just had one sell to Sony. Oh, know, wow. It was an e-com business, but, you know, they, they have sold to Sony and, you know, they've obviously gotten a CFO on board uh, where that makes sense, accounting team. Um, so generally, I mean, what we can handle is... Um, usually under 50 million, uh, uh, you know, kind of in that range, depending on, you know, what it looks like and how many employees are, are there. But generally, that's what we're looking at. And then um, obviously, if they have an in-house person that we work with, maybe we're still doing the transactions, maybe they're doing the transactions and we're reconciling and tax planning, you know, it could be flexible and certainly recommend it when it's necessary. We're not we're not always trying to just hold the business and, uh, you know, you've got to use us or nothing. But, you know, we're, we're happy to that we've scaled and helped somebody grow and exit um, and leave us because we've successfully done our job at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's that's the goal is is you want to be able to see them succeed and, and get big enough to where they don't need you. That means exactly means that you're doing your job well. With your virtual CFOs and controllers, do they have multiple clients or, or how on hand is their work actually if, if they have multiple clients? Uh, multiple clients. I mean, pretty much working with everybody here. And then it just depends on the size and the conversation and the expertise. But yeah, it's not one to one. I mean, generally, that's not necessary. And, and, you know, from an accounting and tax perspective, which is why we don't do restaurants and construction, because um, they're different for us. Accounting and taxes are the same. Whether you're a one or a consultant or econ business, still the same accounting and taxes. Maybe you code things a little bit differently um, and uniquely. But at the end of the day, the tax planning is the same. Advisory is still the same. We kind of have a unique business model where we're that's why we can be agnostic to most businesses and help them because it's the same conversations we're having all day long. I figured as much, but you know what they say about assuming at least, you know. <laughs> so you've said before that not in this conversation, but but elsewhere that I read that the number one issue the IRS takes with uh, small businesses is not fire filing payroll taxes. Or, or not filing them correctly. Is that from the IRS being extremely particular and how it needs to be done and, and, and the expertise required to do that? Or is it more ignorance on behalf of small businesses, you know, confusion or anxiety that just kind of instills in people? Yeah, I would say it's uh, maybe a little bit of both. But I mean, we we use a third party for payroll services. I recommend just paying the fee and don't be cheap about it because it's the number one issue. I mean, that's quoted by the IRS and other sources, but just go with a payroll service and make sure they're filing and paying it for you. I mean, a lot of times, you know, the largest accounting service software in America, I won't name them, but their payroll service, you know, they have different levels. And so if you get the cheap level to quote, save money, 
then you're required to make sure you click the buttons and file the reports and submit the money. If you pay them more, then you know maybe they're submitting the, the forms and payments. So we don't recommend them for that because most people get confused and they just assume they signed up and everything's taken care of. That's not always the case. You know, if clients are growing and these days, I mean, we have team members all over the country. Uh, we have clients all over the country um, in all 50 states. So, you know, if you're hiring people in other states as a W-2 employee and you're growing, maybe you've got a, a shopper or you got an admin or something that you've hired as a W-2 employee that creates nexus in that state. And uh, technically you should be registered in that state. You need to create payroll uh, numbers in that state, make sure you withhold and pay in that state. So doing that manually is never recommended using the right payroll services and making sure they're filing and paying it for you to stay compliant. You're based in Austin, Texas, but what I'm hearing you say is that you have clients in, in, in all 50 states. Are there significant differences in tax laws state by state? I, I imagine there are. And I don't know if turning this broader, do you work with anyone internationally where you can say the same thing? I mean, what are some of those differences in tax laws that that you have to personally be responsible for? CPAs are um, allowed to file in all 50 states. You know, A lot of people don't realize that. So um, we don't have to be registered in all 50 states. Uh, there's reciprocity. Um, so we're licensed in Texas, but we're allowed to file uh, in all 50. So yes, there are nuances here and there. I mean, sales tax is a big issue, obviously, these days with e-com. And then, you know, does are you selling enough to meet the revenue thresholds uh, where you need to register and file as a, as a business in that state? So that can be an issue. And then payroll registration is an issue with Nexus. And then once you have Nexus, you know, you then need to keep track class coding those transactions in QuickBooks online. So there, so you can pull a PL by class and show by state, because then when you file taxes, you've got to know, for example, if you're in California, selling in California, you've got to know how much income and expenses are related to California to know what your California income tax liability is. So that becomes important to make sure we're on top of that in class coding. But other than that, uh, you know, obviously there's jurisdictions here and there, like a lot of New York and California moved to Austin. So we have a lot of clients from the coast. So New York, you know, has city tax, state tax uh, filings that we're aware of. And, you know, I know Ohio has local jurisdictions that we file there too. So other than income taxes, um, you know, for us, it's mostly straightforward. It's just making sure we tax plan correctly going into December 31st. Absolutely. And how do you ensure more specifically, I mean, this is a little bit more of a tax out question, but it's constantly kind of like shifting and evolving a little bit. How do you ensure that you're staying totally up to date on all these different laws, state by state, or, or even internationally. I mean, again, e-commerce is a business that is operating a little bit without borders. And the rules and regulations for it are consistently being changed and evolved and not exactly the Wild West like it once was, but it's still not as regulated, I think, as it could be or will be in due time. How do you ensure that you're staying up to date on those sort of regulations, rules, and laws? Yeah, so my tax team, for example, I mean, we we got back in January from you know tax CPE updates, continuing education. We're always staying on top of what's coming out or you know what's Congress is talking about. It's the new laws passed. We don't do international taxes now. We will do if you're selling on Amazon internationally. 
we will help U.S. clients with those and sync them in with A2X, track those transactions. But because obviously U.S., you have to report worldwide income anyways. But we, we're not filing Canadian taxes or you know European taxes. I'm aware of it. I know what needs to be done, who you need to you know, referrals to contact, but we don't get an international tax. Got you. I appreciate the insight. You've also mentioned, at least on your website, that building wealth while building your business. How is that different than what most business owners already do? So kind of a philosophical statement that I like to make is most business owners in 20 plus years, I've been studying entrepreneurship. You know, they, uh, uh, most of them are always reinvesting in their business and trying to grow it and they, you know, they're like, well, I'll, I'll wait to sell or I'll wait to, you know, 20 years and then I'll cash out, um, you know, or money will be there when I'm ready to retire or quit. And, you know, generally that's just a, it never happens. If somebody's trying to sell their business in general, uh, you're never going to get the blood, sweat and tears you put into it over that course of time that you think you deserve. What I don't want to do is, and what I do with myself personally, is I don't want to be at the end of that rope in 20 plus years, you know, whatever that looks like and not have any money without having to somebody give it to me. So building wealth as you grow, um, that's kind of what we promote here about whether it's saving $500 or 5,000 or 50,000 plus annually, you know, just put something away, whether it's an IRA, whether it's a SEP IRA, whether it's a 401k, just save something annually while you're growing it because you won't recognize that that lump sum of money in the year you're making it. But uh, over time, as it grows and, and compounds, you'll at least have something to fall back on. And so that's what we're kind of promoting in a wealth building. You know, beyond that, like, especially e-com clients, when they're arbitraging, buying inventory, paying bills in general, or I'm like a self-proclaimed like points of miles person. So we're always, uh, you know, promoting the right credit cards, and whether you want cash back or you want to travel first class and stay in five star hotels like I do worldwide uh, when I vacation, um, you know, using the right cards to do that and moving points around to, to pay pay for things. These are kind of different tools that most professionals don't get into, um, CPAs at least. We're trying to make sure our clients are on track for it. So we're always pushing for savings. Uh, you know, America in general has a savings problem, uh, you know, whenever you read the stats and, and look at Congress testimony. And uh, so we're we're trying to change the way people think and make sure pay their spouse, pay their kids correctly, pay themselves correctly and save correctly for the future. One thing baked in there that you said is that when a company is pretty much settling to sell their company down the road, that money will be there down the road, right? So why is that less common nowadays? I mean, that was a pretty traditional model for a long time is, is build a business, then sell it. So what happened between them and now where, where that doesn't really work as much? Uh, I'm not going to say it doesn't work, but there's a lot of faucets that go into selling a business and somebody willing to buy it at the price you want to sell it for. You know, Are you merging into a larger organization where you're still going to have to work three to five years under contract? You know, We had a client sell to SC Johnson for eight figures. Once you have that money in your account, you are not really motivated like you were before to continue working. So it, it's different. So, you know, they were stuck in a three-year agreement with built-in bonuses. So you're not going to get that lump sum day one. You're going to have to earn it and you're going to have to stay on track with the with the numbers, basically. And it's not just here's a check. I think a lot of people have a fallacy of watching Shark Tank and thinking, oh, I, you know, I get a 
build a product and, you know, Shark Tank writes me a check and bam, you know, I'm <laughs> successful. I mean, that's like, it's that easy. I mean, we have a number of Shark Tank clients too. You know, the statistics on there, I think it's over 75% of people don't even get funded on Shark Tank that are on the show. You know, most of those people don't even get money. And so that fallacy is not there. So, you know, my philosophy, and just as an example of how I run my business. So I'm not, I'm not waiting till the end of the rope in year 20 or 30 or dying at my desk like most CPAs do, because I don't know what that money looks like in general professional services, you know, one to three X on gross revenue. And then you have to earn it out over a number of years working for whoever acquires you. So over that time, my philosophy is to continue saving money every year and letting that compound. So at the end of the day, I have options. I can sell my business as a bonus because I have enough money to live on now. I can, you know, sell it to my employees I can let it continue running or I could just not care and just close it and I still have money to live on. That's really what we're trying to promote is have options at the end of the day, not not be pigeonholed into if I don't sell this business, I, you know, I'm going to have to find a job with somebody else. That's not a position you ever want to be in. Now, other spectrum of that is you're building a brand. Yes, you know, if you're building a brand, selling your own product, obviously there's a lot of investment that goes into that usually five, 10 years, you know, you're looking to get acquired, um, depending on what you're selling. So there is a larger multiple on those. If that's the goal, then, you know, that's what we're trying to work you to marketing sales, you know, make sure those things are in place too properly. That all requires investment, cash flow, saving can be a little bit tricky, you know, building a brand, you know, can like our client that made eight figures and, and earned it out over three years, you know, can be a windfall of money, but that's not always the case with everybody. And, you know, sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you, you got to keep working harder. So take control of your own finances, take control of your own future, save money for yourself and your future as you earn it is what my philosophy is anyway. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, since you bring up Shark Tank, that I think that philosophy has a lot of validity because e even when I watch that show, people will get an offer. Well, I think I'm an idiot, but I, I think is a good offer and they don't like it as much. You know, they, they're not willing to sell because they put that blood, sweat and tears in the stuff that, that, that you mentioned and the number's too low for them and the stake is too high. So more often than not, I see them getting an offer that they're like, no, nah, that's not what I'm looking for um, because they value that side of things so much. So I think this wealth building model and philosophy makes a lot of sense. I mean, from my limited experience, seeing it has some validity to it. So kind of to circle back to the IRS a little bit, everyone wants to essentially pay them the least amount of money possible, right? So what are some strategies and tips for, for tax season, which is here and even more around the corner for myself that you recommend to your clients that are an e-commerce business? Yeah, first thing is, uh, you know, in our initial conversations, just looking at your formation, hopefully you have an LLC set up, whatever you're doing, uh, that should be number one. Uh, even if you're not making enough money to be an S-Corp, you know, at least 100% owned LLC is files as a Schedule C on your personal 1040 taxes. And then from there, you know, our break-even is kind of 50, 60K of net profit after expenses. And, and then we're looking at an S-Corp election where we can save thousands of dollars in unnecessary FICA payroll taxes by being in, taking that same money and being an S-Corp. So it just depends on where your business is at, what your profits look like. And then 
do you have partners? You know, is there equity or is there debt? Like obviously those come into play too. And then, you know, do you have employees? Do you have a spouse? Do you have kids? Can they be paid in the business? Um, is one example we, you know, try and push, um, just kind of structure it that way to save a little bit of money. Obviously you're taking that deduction now, putting it in there in your family's pocket. You know, if you're using tax software, which we never recommend for any business owner or if you own rental property, I mean, I have 15 rentals myself. You can't work in the gray area with tech software. It's black and white. So an example I like to give is if you have an e-com business and you're filing your 1040 with that Schedule C and you report home office deduction, it generally asks for your internet in the home office. So you're going to get pennies on the dollar on that home internet, whereas the internet is required for your business. So that $800 deduction, you know, we would put on a Schedule C tax software is going to put it in a home office. And that's just one small example of how CPAs can add value and maximize tax deductions in the gray area. And I think that's a great example, Chase, is you guys can find the sum of the parts. And, and that's the difference maker, I think, is in accounting and tax season, it is a game of details. And those details add up to become a big, massive number in savings that, you know, software, like you're saying, is not going to be able to find and navigate through the individuality of person to person, you know? So I think that's extremely valid. We've been around a long time and, you know, we have a lot of good reviews because we're not promoting to put people in things that just make us more money. We're not going to make an escort collection and charge for it if it doesn't make sense for you. I mean, we'll tell people, you know, if you just have a basic 1040, use TurboTax, like you don't need to pay us to do it. You just have W-2 and a mortgage. And so we're pretty honest with people and, you know, we're only, we're looking for the right clients where we can add value. Where I was going with that is, you know, yeah, we're charging for our expertise, but what we're charging you is still saving you money at the end of the day in total income tax liability. So you might be, we might make an S-Corp recommendation um, for 2022, a late election or, or starting this year, file taxes. And yeah, you're going to pay us you know, money to do that, but you're still going to save X amount of dollars in total, even though you're paying us. So you got to look at it from a grand perspective and say, okay, this is my tax liability. I'm going to take a little chunk of this and pay them to, you know, let the experts save some money and kind of think of it in that mindset. A lot of people think, well, well, you know, I don't want to pay them this amount of money. I'm just going to save it. But you're actually paying more money at the end of the day because, are you filing it correctly? Are you capturing those deductions properly? If you're doing your own taxes, that's something you got to ask yourself. So to kind of give a general overview, to look to the past, to try to predict the future as you're an expert at your personal firm. I think you mentioned earlier that y'all started working with e-commerce businesses around 2011. Have you seen your firm grow in tandem with the growth of e-commerce? And, and do you expect that trend to continue? It's a large vertical for us, for sure. It's not you know our majority of business, but okay. um, it's a large vertical. I've been doing it since, uh, you know, I did it individually on my own since the early 2000s, mid to late 2000s, excuse me. And then officially as a firm, 2011 is what I say. But um, I think the trend is continuing. I, I think there might be a little bit of consolidation going into a potential recession, you know, in the next couple of years that the market's identifying, but it's the easiest way to start and build a brand, you know, versus going to, you know, a traditional uh, model where you had like a SC Johnson or, you know, a larger corporation try and start your brand for you. I mean, you pretty much can just go on Amazon and 
pay for some advertising and get people to buy it and get some reviews and and it's off to the charts from there. So I think it's going to be around and it's going to continue building itself in the future. And I think we'll see some consolidation of some larger e-com businesses merging and creating some efficiencies there. And some of these before interest rates skyrocketed, a lot of the M&A firms were rolling up these companies. But I don't see that happening as often these days because the interest rates are too high for the debt service. It's going to be around for a long time. So we're, you know, we're here to help. When people want our help, we'll still be here when, you know, if you don't want it now, we'll still be here later. Uh, you know, we're not looking to go anywhere. I'm not looking to go anywhere. Our business has been here 11 plus years. We'll be here another 11 plus years. And uh, we just look to keep helping entrepreneurs grow. That's amazing. I always end the show with the same question, essentially in e-commerce in the e-commerce industry, CEOs, founders, people like yourself are operating on a higher work level than most. Uh, I think. And so to promote like a, a stable mental health and a healthy, you know, work life harmony, what do you do with your free time in terms of hobbies and interests? For me, it's travel. So I use oh, cool. the right credit cards to, to travel. I like first class business class and, you know, best hotels. So I, you know, I kind of follow the industry and get the right points and miles that I need. And But for me, my chi is, is traveling and journey is 50% of it for me because, it's an experience um, that I would never pay cash for, like flying Emirates A380 first class. I'm never going to pay 30 grand for that, but I'll use points for it for sure and take a shower on board. You know, for me, that's ha half the journey and then the destination's the other half. So I, I just enjoy travel. I enjoy different experiences, different cultures, um, you know, learning different things. And, and that's what makes me rich at the end of the day is, is travel. That's amazing. Chase, I really appreciate your time and good luck. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank my guests, Chase and Sonia, for joining me on the show and come back on Thursday when I talk with Jess Chan, the founder and CEO of two connected marketing companies, the first called Long Play, a full-service retention and lifecycle marketing agency for DTC e-commerce brands that specializes in email marketing, and the second, Backbone, the first email strategy automation tool paired with custom email design and on-hand email consultant to drive more revenue from email without the cost of an agency. For more information about Chase, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. To learn more about Insomnia CPA, you can check out their website, insomniacpa.com, or follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Insomnia CPA or on Facebook at Insomnia CPAs. That's our show. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until next time.